Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent and number one video and podcast dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. Maybe one of the best territory, and not even maybe, it is the best uh, professional wrestling territory, maybe in the history uh, of the business. And we've got some really cool things planned. My name is Chris Tubbs. I bring us in every week. But uh, let's bring in the uh, the other half right now, and I'm going to do that little button right there. Mick Karch. Mick, uh, I mean, I'm excited. I want to jump right into our guest because I'm super excited for it, but I have to I have to kind of pump the brakes because we got some business to take care of, including the uh, the sponsorships. But before I get to the sponsorships, um, let's uh, let let's you know go ahead and acknowledge that uh, it's gone from a, a you know a trios down to a uh, regular tag team. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sordid details don't need to be uh, sorted out. Everybody's still friends. Uh, you know, we, we, made the, uh, we made the internet kind of for the wrong reasons over the past week or so, but uh, George Shire is no longer a part of the, uh, the threesome here. Um, there's not a better historian anywhere in wrestling there is no more knowledgeable uh historian uh than than george and uh i wish him well i mean he's uh he's made a decision that uh, you know wants to go in a different direction and that's great Mm -hmm. i'm sure he will surface on many many podcasts uh he will make sure that he does (laughs) uh but again uh we're all friends sometimes creative differences get in the way a little bit but uh all the best to george yeah, he is. There's nobody better at what they do than George Shire. I mean, nobody knows the history of the AWA and, and frankly, wrestling history. A lot of it, even you know, other territories than right. George Shire. So, if if you're looking for the nuts and bolts, facts, the truth of the business, because the truth of the business, as they say, can be kayfabe. Uh, nobody better than George Shire. Uh, that being said. You know, it, it, everything changes, as they say. You know, everything's an evolution. So it's the two of us, but we do have a third man today, and I'm very excited. But before we get to that, do have a little bit of business to take care of. Uh, first of all, I want to thank a Soda Stick. As you can tell right up there, the logo up in the corner. Uh, they are the official home for AWA Unleashed merchandise. If you want to get a T-shirt, we've got Unleashed T-shirts. The first run, the whites are... They're running out. I mean, if we're not sold out, there are just a handful of them left. And when they're gone, these white ones are are completely gone. So go to uh, sodastickco.com. Go to AWA Unleashed. When it's gone, it's gone. Um, In a couple of months, you guys, it's going to start to get cold. I hate to say it, but it's going to get cold. We got personalized hoodies. They're really cool. They're really light. Uh, You can put your name right up there. See how I did that, Mick? I I went to the right, but I know that it's like the left there. See, that's that's me using my brain more than a hat rack. I'm with you. We got that. Um, So just a lot of great stuff. Also, 7th Avenue Pizza. Um, It's great pizza, you guys. It's it's frozen, but it doesn't taste frozen. You can put it on the grill. You can put it on your pizzazz. You can put it on your stone. Put it in your oven. Absolutely great. Uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. I, I love their their Lucky 7. They've got a meatball and pepperoni. Mwah, just fabulous. And the great thing is, I actually, I, this is one of my uh, soda stick uh, shirts. I got, uh-huh. I got blown out of the dome. I had a 7th Avenue Pizza stain on here because I 
enjoy it so much, but uh, it's gone. And uh, I love it. Seventh Avenue pizza um, and soda stick. Thank you guys so much. You know, uh, there is something about truth in advertising. You said it didn't taste like a frozen pizza. And yeah. I actually took the wrapper off while it was still frozen. And it did taste like a frozen pizza, you know, prior to putting it in the oven or, you know, on the stone or, you know, Tom Rocky stone or whatever you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get it now. I, I, I get it. I, I knocked out my remaining tooth. So mm-hmm. I will, uh, I learned a lesson. There's no doubt about it. Oh my God. Uh, next time, take it out of the wrapper and put it in the oven. It tastes better that way. Okay. So, um, we have asked people as well to send us pictures. If you've got your, we've got pictures of, uh, well, we got one picture that we're going to show you later. Somebody that's uh, wearing the AW Unleashed swag. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, I want to get to our guest here, Mick, because we've rambled. And why don't you go ahead and uh, bring our guest in, and then I will explain why this is such a a personal show to me in terms of me being a wrestling fan. So why do, why don't you do the honors? Well, you know, this this is a guy we got to stop meeting like this once every thirty five years. Uh, but talk about a storied career in the business. I thought I knew him very well, and then I looked up his wrestling history. My God, this guy has done it all, and he's a good friend of ours. We have wanted to get him on the show. In the AWA, you knew him as Mike Richards, and then eventually you knew him as one, or maybe you didn't know, as one of the Texas hangmen. Let's bring in our buddy from sunny Florida, Mike Moran, and there he is. There he is in all his glory. You're smiling, buddy. You're, you're, You're looking great. Well, thank you. It's good, it's good to be here. I appreciate both you guys uh, asking me to be on the show. So I'm looking forward to this. I haven't uh, I haven't done a podcast in a long time. Well, it, it's it's more than a pleasure. Believe me. Yes. And, uh, you're a class act, and the people are going to find out just uh, all about you. And I know, Chris, you've got a great story to kick mm-hmm. things off. I, I do, because I, I have to admit, Mike, that when I grew up, as a wrestling fan in Southwestern Minnesota, right. the very, the very first show that I went to was at the gymnasium of the Southwest state uh, university gymnasium. Okay. And I want to say this was maybe the summer of 88. I went with my two uncles and my cousin and the four of us, we were sitting maybe about four rows up in the bleachers. And one of the, and I remember this very distinctly, there was this tag team that came out they were scary looking MFers, right? And I wanted to go up and I wanted to get closer to them, but they scared me because they were wearing masks, right, the right. hoods, yeah. and they had nooses or niece, I guess the nooses. I don't know. I think it's nooses. Of, nooses, yeah. Is it nooses? Okay, good. It's nooses. And that happened to be you. And so I am going to say that you, the very first time, scared the shit out of me as a kid. But you were part of the very first wrestling card that I ever saw. Wow. So you, you, Mike, are always going to hold a a very personal spot for me. Well, I'm glad I was able to scare the shit out of you. How old were you in this in this first show? Uh probably about 25. <laughs> no, I was I, I was I was 13. So if you can if you can do me a favor. Yeah. Well, I'm in Minnesota, you're in Florida, so I feel like I've got enough distance. 
Yes. Can you put can, can you put the, the the hood on for me? I do happen to have it right here. Oh, oh man. Oh boy. Here we go. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Hey now, Mick, I, if, if, if I if I jump out of here, Mick, if I jump out of here, it's all yours. I, thanks a lot, pal. Yeah. So, this is the hood that we used to wear originally, and then we eventually evolved to a different hood. But this was the one I got a story about this hood first. So this hood, when we first started doing the hangman on the indie circuit, we had these KH hoods that were jabroni hoods, and then we contacted your former guest, Nacho Barrera. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I met him halfway between Milwaukee and Chicago, me and uh, Rick Gantner, and we bought these $50 hoods from him. <laughs> And so we stayed a hundred bucks and got him. And that was, he used to wrestle under this hood. And uh, we started, that was our first hangman hoods. But let me put wow. this baby on. I have not put this one on in a long time. What a great backstory here. Oh, there we are. Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, Slide her over there. Give me, give me some. Yeah, some I haven't had this on in a long time. Holy <laughs> shit, that thing's going to explode, Mike. Yeah, my head's gotten a little bigger, I think, since I was oh, right on and cotton and everything else flying around here. Oh my god, that's that's fantastic. Oh, that's that's awesome. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, he's gonna oh, there, oh, there we go, there we go. Look at oh, this. Yes, all right, there. Oh, I love it. it. Yes, how does it feel? It doesn't have the um the laces in it anymore because of course it's 30 years old. Guess what else I have? It's got the noose too. He's got the noose. Oh man. Oh yeah. Yeah, I yeah, it was Mick Hart, Chris Stubbs, Tubbs, you better watch yourselves and respect the Texas hangman, or else I'll put this noose around your neck and squeeze till your eyes pop out. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, good I, thing I'm wearing black shorts. I uh, wow, that was incredible. My that, that, that was Great tremendous. Job. And I tell you what, the only difference between you and Stan Hansen with the cowbell is that at least you could see two feet in front of you. And let me tell you something I worked that guy as a job guy. You are exactly right. He almost took my damn head off with that freaking clothesline. <laughs> yes. So, oh my so, God! Great memories. Oh yeah, it was it, it was incredible, Mike. So yeah, thank you uh, for being part of that against uh, DJ Peterson and, and really Delwick. Cool. So that was actually your first card that you seen. That that's special. And you know that was God. How long ago was that? Probably. I think it was eighty. What was it eighty eight? Does that sound? Yeah, eighty eight to thirty. Yeah, long. Thirty four years. Long. long thirty four. Wow. Yeah. Time goes by so quick. Yeah. Oh, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. that's that's speaking of the time. Let, let's go way back before you ever entered the business. Okay. What in the world? You know, we ask everybody this. Some say they loved it from the beginning. Some say I just happened to, you know, get an opportunity because I was a big guy. What was the initial interest in getting into wrestling? Well, I was a huge fan since I was a kid. And when I first saw it live, my first main event was Nick Bockwinkle, your favorite. Against Rufus R. Jones, and I kid you not, I had seen it live. I mean, on TV, but when I saw it live, I literally, like a lot of guys do, I fell in love with it. And I remember being at the bus stop with my friend then and saying, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And from that point on, I lived, eat, and breathed wrestling, getting all the magazines, just like all of us did. Sure. And um, I'd wait on the back of the buildings, and I still have the pictures of all the guys I took with my one step camera. I still have all that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I was just obsessed with it. And then eventually I was able to get the connections through Herman Schaefer and start my career. 
That that's fantastic. And you know what? When you said Rufus R. Jones and, and Nick Bockwinkle, and yes. of course, they, whoop, wait a minute, there he goes. There you go. He's left the screen. He has. There he is. Oh, he's back. There he is. There he is. Technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen, today. So uh, so bear with me. When you mentioned Rufus R. Jones, so in terms of the era, you're talking mid to late seventies. Yes. Uh, yep. Back then. Yep. And just as an aside, I remember. Talking about Nick Bockwinkle. Nick was so good. Rufus was not the greatest technical wrestler in the world. But I think he had his best match against Nick because Nick carried him so well. Nick could have carried a broom. I mean, he was the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. That match, I mean, I left there in a frenzy because Nick did such a good job with Rufus that I I was uh, obsessed with it from that point on. Yeah. Did yeah. did you know did you know like what it was that you were watching at the time like how good Nick was as a fan or was it I mean what was it that struck you during that match You know I was still a, I mean I was still a fan of Mark and I didn't know anything but I knew Nick was great but I I think that just the overall crowd reaction and just seeing it live for the first time because mm-hmm. when you watch it on the TV studio it's cool but when you see it yeah. live it's a whole another ball game and this was at the arena it's probably 10,000 people there. Sure. Uh, right. Orton was on the card, Brunzel, Ganya. I mean, it was it was a Patterson Stevens. It was a good card. Mm-hmm. And I just literally fell in love with it. And I kid you not, that night, I knew I was going to be a pro wrestler. You know, you're mentioning some of the rostered guys from back then. And, you know, in my opinion, from the early 70s, probably through, you know, the early 80s. Yes probably the best era in AWA wrestling. You mentioned some of the guys that were on back then, Stevenson, Patterson, and Nick and Cecil Dubois was in town and Rufus. And I mean, and, and I believe Lord Alfred was here or, or came in shortly after that. Shortly after. Yeah. Uh, Just a a tremendous, tremendous era. So that's what we are going to be focusing on today. And then of course we'll be moving up until unfortunately, some not so great years uh, for the yeah. AWA, but we're going to be talking about it all. So, uh, Chris, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you. You know, you, you talked about how how you became a fan because of that match uh, between Rufus Jones and Nick Bockwinkel. I mean, who trained you, and how, how did you get connected? Because I was it Tom Stone, Rocky Stone was your was your trainer. Eventually, initially, okay. my first trainer was Herman Schaefer. And my stepdad knew Herman from hanging out at a bar, of course. And uh, he actually introduced me when I was 16 to Herman Schaefer at this bar. And Herman said, listen, we run these shows at the Fed Hall in Milwaukee. Come down to that place and uh, help set the ring up. And I'll get in the ring with you. And if you have some potential, maybe I'll consider training you. So I went to that that Fed Hall and I helped put the ring. And it was so crazy when I first walked in. I had never been around the business at all. I walk into that Fed Hall, and there's Frankie DeFalco. Oh, God. Chris Curtis. All these guys putting the ring up. I had never even touched the ring ropes. I had never touched the turnbuckles. So for me, this was phenomenal just to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as soon as I walk in, I hear kayfabe. Now, at the oh, time, sure. I don't know what that means. It <laughs> yeah. means basically there's a non-wrestling person in the building. And then I told him I was there because Herman told me to be there. I set the ring up. And then Herman showed up and we got in the ring and I had been practicing in my backyard and in my basement for five years, you know, since I was a kid. Yeah. So I knew pretty much how to do some of the stuff except for hit the ropes. And Herman's like, you know what? I think you've got potential. 
and he started, and God bless this guy, he would work all day at his job. I was just a 350-pound dude. Yeah. And then he would come pick me up in his convertible. This convertible, I kid you not, had missing floorboards. I swear to God. So when you're driving. It was like I'm not surprised. Yeah, I imagine it's like the Flintstones. Right? It was. If you if you didn't pay attention, you would have put your feet down and probably lost your toes. <laughs> and we would drive all the way out to Jake's Jake Milliman's farm, 20 minutes away. And Jake Jake has a really big, nice house in Franklin. And he had a farm, like a barn. And the ring was in there. And Herman and I would get in this sweat box. And we would wrestle two, three days a week. And it was great. And then eventually Jake started helping out. And, you know, Herman's so big, he can only teach me so much. Sure. And Jake started teaching me more of the psychology part of it. And then eventually Stone got involved. And he took over on the training and all that. But God bless all three of those guys. They never charged me a dime. Stone gave me my first pair of boots and tights that were old ones of his. I was only 17. And I didn't have any money. I didn't even have a driver's license. And God bless those guys that got me into the business. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that you didn't have to pay $3,000 to go through training camp, you know, and of course pay 10, 15% of right. your earnings for the rest of your life. You, you got away with, uh, without doing that. huh? You, you know, one thing I'll say about all those guys is they weren't not like the guys all over the other territories where you hear about, they take the, even when stone would book us for TV, he never took a dime of ours. He may have gotten paid extra for bringing us from the company, but he never took any of our money. And uh, none of them charged me for training or anything. I mean, wow. it, it was so different than like Hiro Matsuda breaking Hulk Hogan's leg in Florida. Sure. It was not, thank God I was trained by guys like Stone, who mm-hmm. he wasn't the pillar of physical, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So he was going to be doing 100 Hindu squats because he couldn't do them. So thank God I didn't have to do that. Oh, I, I love it. You know, I, and just real quickly, I, you mentioned something about when you when you entered for the first time, you were at the camp, and you kind of had an idea in your head anyway about what to do. It seems to me that's kind of a universal thing. If a, if a kid grows up loving this business, he's already wrestled so many matches in his head. Yeah. By the time he gets to camp, like you said, the only thing you didn't do was run the ropes, but uh, that's that's the love of the business. It, it is the, the passion, and I hear these on other podcasts and your podcast. Most of us grew up loving this business, and so by the time we got our opportunity, we were already, you know, a little school of ours. I, of course, there's so much more I had to learn, sure. but yes, I was able. And but but truth be told, the ropes and taking the actual bumps is a lot harder than people realize. You hit those ropes and you've never done it before. I'll tell you right now, mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's mind-boggling. I, I, I can promise you, anyone who hits the ropes for the first time would be shocked at how hard they're not soft. Absolutely, right. And you it's have like, and, and you have and you can't go. Yeah, and you can't go in soft. Like when you go into the ropes, you, I mean, you got to go in. You got to turn. You got to grab. It's like there's there's a whole there's a whole routine to it. And if you don't, like, you could really. I mean, you can end up hurting yourself pretty bad. It's, I promise anyone that would, I dare them to try it. It is the hardest thing you'd ever, I mean, hitting those ropes is so hard. Taking falls mm-hmm. and being trying to remember to tuck your head. It's People criticize wrestling so much, but they don't realize how hard it is. Oh, I, totally. I, I, that's you guys do, but fans sometimes don't. Well, that's the thing. And, and the critics of wrestling have always 
they've always been there. I bet they've always had the same bullshit, you know, oh, they're, you know, they know how to fall. They know how to do this or that or the, you know what? Put them in there for about right. 30 seconds right. and see if they have a different impression of, of wrestling. Uh, I want to kind of move ahead a little bit here. So we got Tom Stone, we got Herman Schaefer, Chris Curtis, Jake Mulliman, honest to God, I'm, you know, I, you're, you're telling me about those days and it's, yeah a wonderful, wonderful era. So when you get started, how long did you train? And then how did you eventually get booked all over, all over the place? Uh, my first match was November 17th of 82. And what happened is, is that was just local indie stuff in Milwaukee area. Okay. And then within a year I was doing TV for, and Stone was the guy. Stone had so many connections. He was the one through Gregor Verne would bring a group of guys up. And uh, October of 1983 was my first TV taping for Vern at the studio, at the old studio. Wow. Yeah. October 83. Yeah. You know, so when you throw these dates out there, you know, I'm immediately going back in time. Well, who was working here then? And this, and when you said your first match was in November of 82, I'm thinking, good God, Otto Vance was still around. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, he was. Well, yeah. Well, yeah but, uh, Sadly, he was champion then. But 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 um, talk about initiation. So I go into the first TV. Now, usually what Stone would do is he would get a call from Gregor Vern, say, bring up six guys. And then sometimes he'd bring up the Chicago guys, which would be Nacho and his group of Lucha guys. Uh, Sonny Rogers would come up from Chicago. Tony Leone would come up from Kenosha or racing, actually. And um, so we would drive up there. And then Stone was such a such a good trainer like he would actually on the way up he would quiz us about psychology and he'd teach us carney how to talk that and he was just great and uh it would be like me and jake in the car and stone maybe chris curtis woody wilson um oh, God, like, well, like, what, what, what kind of things would he quiz you on when it came to that he would just say like you know what how do you do a match and he did you know the psychology of a match and he would say you know he teaches carney the, the different words of kids aren't he sure and, and it was great and he mm -hmm. just so those six hour rides were lessons. It was great. Yeah. And, and then, and then uh, we would get up there and this was my first taping. Talk about initiation. My first AWA TV match was against Mr. Saito. Oh yeah. Oh wow. What, what, an, what an initiation. That guy has a head like a rhino. <laughs> he was so, every part of him was tough. And, and I, Taking that Saito suplex. Oh, good God. Now, you got to keep in mind, I'd never been at this level. He gave me that suplex. I, uh, It was um, unbelievable. I mean, when he picks you up, you go for a ride, and you don't even know when that match coming. So I had him first. Mm -hmm. Then the next match, because, you know, Vern used to do three, which you know, Mick. Yeah. They would do three tapings in one day. So the next match, it was me and Stone, my trainer, against Hulk Hogan. Handicap match. <laughs> Handicap match. Yeah. Wow. Same, cool. same day. Same day. It's always, it's, there's three tapings. Sure. Sure. By the time you come out the third time, the fans are like, really? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> You've gotten your ass kicked twice already. You need to come out again. It's really for the live audience, you know. But, so, so I wrestle Hulk Hogan, me and Stone, and he does, he puts us next to each other and he drops that leg drop on both of us. So as my bad luck would have it, he pins us. He puts his upper body on top of stone. But guess what? Guess what I get in my face? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I, crotch. 
Yeah, oh, so, so I got a I got a really good sniff and taste of Hulkamania that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, that would make a great trivia question. You know, it, seriously, somewhere along the line, we got to use that. You know, yeah. who sniffed Hulk Hogan's ass? You know, yeah. actually, it was his balls, but yes, yes. 24 minutes in, we are going to cut that and, out. And then, thank God, the last match of that taping was against Roshki, Baron. Oh, light touch. Which, which honestly, at two matches in, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to come back for this. This is hard. Sure. And then you get Roshki. He was so easy, so gentleman-like, just a great guy. His claw, he'd put me in the claw. If I didn't take my hand and hold his claw against my head, it might have fallen off. He's that light. He's he, great. To, to this day, one of the nicest guys ever in wrestling. I want to I want to take a step back to uh, the Saido situation. So here you are. You you come in. It, was it Vern who said you got Saido tonight, or or did Saido come up to you and say you and me, kid? How did that? There was, there was a chalkboard, and then all the matches would be on the chalkboard. And you would just see who you're working, and then you'd go up to them and talk to them. And Saito didn't speak a lot of English. No, no. Maybe he didn't want to speak a lot of English. Right. So he would just pretty much went up to you and just grabbed you by the side of your waist and said, finish. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I'm getting that Saito suplex. And then, of course, Jay comes up as a rib. And he goes, he likes your finish. Maybe do two. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to the business. Oh, that that is just such a great story. So, yeah. so a typical day, you guys come in from Milwaukee or Chicago, and you do your TV, and you know whatever Vern was paying back in the day. Did About fifty. Okay. All right. You know what? That's that's more than I assumed. Yeah, it was about uh, fifty. No matter how many matches you did, you did one match, you got one hundred fifty. You did three matches, you got one hundred fifty. But you okay. know, we were just happy to be there. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, what what did you what did you learn the most during like that part of your career? Like really, the early part is that enhancement talent. Was there something in particular that you really took out of that era and kind of took it with you to the rest? You know, the thing I would say is honestly, I learned that some guys will treat you with respect and take care of you, and some guys don't really care and they're yeah. just worried about getting themselves over. And then later on, when I became the hangman, and we were the top guys working i it made me appreciate that you have to take care of these guys you have to respect them and you have to you know make them feel good about the match i mean because there were times i got brutalized by guys and i don't think they and they never they never put me in the hospital mm -hmm. or maybe not be able to drive home and be okay but they could have been lighter they could have not kicked my ass as much as they did but they were trying to get over and i and, and you know what you never know what Vern says to him Vern might be like hey listen you need to go out there and just destroy this guy you know so you never know what's on the other side you know you you talk about the guys that you work with so let's go back to those early enhancement talent days the roster was second to none were there guys that you enjoyed working with and also were there guys that you thought oh shit you look on that chalkboard and you think oh not you again yes absolutely when you got there and you started seeing them right down the chalkboard it would be great usually You'd wait for your 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 match, you know. And of course, if you got somebody like, um, to me, the first couple of tapings, I had Saito, Hogan, Roshki, and then Mick. I got to work Nick Bockwinkle on one of the TJ, and 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 that was amazing. It was amazing. He was great. Put me in the figure four. Finished me there. Um, 
Bobby Duncan. I got to work wow. him. He was great. And it, the cool thing is, is then later on in WCW, I got to work Bobby Duncan Jr. So I think that's mm. the father-son time I ever got to work both of them. Um, but yeah, there were guys, I mean, when I worked Brody, I saw Brody on the list. Yeah, that was not a pleasant day. That was rough. Wow. It was in Oshkosh at the college, and he uh, he put me in. His finish was the pile driver. He beat the shit out of me, for, of course. Mm-hmm. And his finish was the pile driver. And he held me up in that pile driver, and he's going, hush, hush. I swear to God, it felt like an eternity. Oh, I'm sure. It was maybe 10 seconds, but it felt like a minute. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped me, and he didn't kill me or anything. But that match, my girlfriend at the time literally was crying afterwards because she thought that he killed me. Yeah, but it, yeah, he was wrong. Did, did did you ever feel like you could say anything at that time to to Vern or whoever was booking, or so you just felt like it was one of those, hey, I have to pay my dues and I just have to, I just have to take this. You were taught, well, at least from Stone, we were taught to keep our mouth shut and do what we were told, and and, and again, we were happy to be there. Getting an mm-hmm. ass kicking wasn't the end of the world, just wasn't ideal. Um, but you, but know, you, but you were get, you were getting booked. And it was also the great moments when you would work guys that were really easy and, and you would just, you know, so you had to take the good with the bad. And, but again, even when Brody beat the crap out of me, it's not like I couldn't go to work the next day. Sure. Right. Okay. So when you're, when you're uh, doing those enhancement days, who did you deal with most? Was it Vern or was Greg kind of the guy that gave you your walking papers for the day or, you know, your marching orders or whatever? It was Greg. Okay. It was Greg. Vern, I mean, Vern would always be there, but it was Greg who primarily dealt with the, I think Vern would deal with more of the, maybe the angles or the top stuff, but it was Greg who pretty much just dealt with putting the chalkboard. I mean, Greg, Vern ain't going to be up there writing on the chalkboard. Oh, and right. you know, and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was primarily Greg and he would, he, they, they'd already have it all set up and they'd put all the matches there and then you would just find your opponent, talk to them. And some guys would be like, you know, give you a little bit and what do you want to do too? But a lot of guys would just be like, just here's the finish. And you know, we got six minutes and just sell for me. Wow. Come back and say, thank you afterwards. Usually, I I do. I do have a question, Mike, you and I were talking a few days ago and you mentioned the story about how you used to communicate. And I don't know where it was at, but you were talking about the phone call that you would have to make in, in the locker room. Where, where was that? And kind of what, what was that process like? And, And trying to, communicate to somebody in the other locker room. Yeah. So that was later on. So, so when oh, okay. I first started okay. doing TV, it was the Minneapolis studio, which Mick, of course you said you used to sit ringside, right? All always. Yep. Yeah. And then, then we started doing like colleges and high schools, Boylan, you know, in Illinois and all these different sure. places doing all these tapings. Uh, we'd be at St. Paul at the civic center in Minneapolis for TV tapings. And then mm-hmm. eventually it evolved to showboat where Mick was a lot. And um, there it was funny. People don't realize that, at the showboat, Mick, were you in? What would happen is, is we would get message. All of us would be there, the jobbers and the top guys. We'd be told meet in Greg's room at two p.m. or whatever it was, and we would, there'd be sixty guys in his hotel room at the showboat. Were you there for those, Mick? Or? You know what's interesting about that, Mike? I was not, and Rod Trongard was not, but I remember specifically uh, Paul Paul Heyman would talk about the meetings and he would always yeah. come back frustrated because he said, they're not listening to me. You know, they won't listen to my ideas. But as far as the TV announcers were concerned, 
Vern and Greg had the, the philosophy that they wanted us out of the production meetings. They wanted everything to be spontaneous when we saw it in the ring and react that way. To me, I would have preferred to be in the production meetings yes. and see what the hell to get over. But no, they, they didn't want to do it that way. But okay. I, I do remember Paul saying exactly the same thing. He said, you wouldn't believe this meeting. We're in this hotel room and you got dozens of guys there. They'd be like 60. Everyone on the card would be there. And, and Greg would go over all the matches. Because here's the thing. At the showboat, there were two separate dressing rooms. One on one side of the arena, yep. one on yep. the other. So you could not speak to your opponents. So you had to meet with them there, find out who your match was. Greg would go over everything. And then try to put your match together. But try putting your match together with 60 other guys talking about their matches. Oh, it was ridiculous. Mm. So what would happen is, is then we'd go back. That night, we'd go into the dressing rooms. And they had a house phone in each dressing room. So let's say I was wrestling Colonel De Beers. I'd have to pick up the house phone, and then there'd be a switchboard operator from the showboat. Oh, I'd, say, I'd say, can you call the other dressing room? And then they would call the other dressing room. And then whoever picked up the phone, I'd, I'd get knobs. Yeah. You know, and I'd be, can you put Colonel De Beers on the phone? And of course, sometimes he wouldn't. I think it's Colonel De Beers, but it's actually still knobs. <laughs> and I'm like, put Colonel yeah. De Beers on the phone. You know, and, and so then you, you talk to your opponent and just try to go over everything. But, you know, it was not that hard because a lot of these matches were six-minute matches. Eight minutes sure, out. of course. But, like, you know, I'd call over and there'd be Tommy Rich on one line. and then Or when we worked with Wahoo and JT Southern, they'd be. And we would just talk a little stuff, and that was it. So, yeah, it was very different. You'd actually have to pick up that house phone, call over to the other dressing room, hope you're actually talking to the guy you talk, you're supposed to talk to and not knobs. <laughs> Yeah. And then, <laughs> what do you match? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it was like this in Milwaukee at the arena or the auditorium, but I know at the Minneapolis auditorium, you had the two separate entrances to a connecting locker room. You know, yeah. so there was the illusion that the guys were separated, but of yeah. course they could go, you know, from one tunnel into the other and talk over their match. So uh, I got a question. I, I remember this specifically. And this is in 87, so the AWA was just starting to, you know, a little bit of the downward slide, and the pressure was on. And that's what I actually started was in August of 87. So I didn't come in, you know, from a morale standpoint or what have you. And I remember something happened on TV. I don't know if there was a schmaz or whatever, but Mike Tolis was – part of that and in the locker room Mike is on the phone like right after this has been taped or whatever and I don't know if he's talking to a wife or a girlfriend or something but he's kind of exposing what happened and Greg happened to walk by and literally knocked the phone out of Tolis's hand slapped him across the face and said kayfabe you son of a bitch or you'll never work here again so <laughs> Take me back. Yeah, I mean, take me back not only to how kayfabe was protected back then, even in the late 80s, you know, when Vince had exposed everything, and also what sense did you get the mood and the morale in the locker room at the time? Because, again, I didn't come in when it was euphoria, the AWA. Well, I mean, kayfabe was strong in the AWA. I mean, Vern especially, he was so old school. I yeah. can tell you some stories about him once we became the hangman that were crazy. But, yeah, there was always very strong kayfabe. That's why we met in the hotel room. That's why we had separate dressing rooms. Um, 
And a lot of people underestimate Greg. They're like, oh, you know, he was Vern's dad. I mean, Vern's son. And he shouldn't have got. Let me tell you something. I wrestled Greg at the showboat. And I knew him for years. That guy was very good. Yes. Oh, absolutely. He had great fire. Yeah, he was a little undersized. But let me tell you something. He's an athlete from college. I don't like when people talk crap about Greg Gagne. I don't either. That guy was a talent. And and him and I had a great match. And he, I, I just don't understand why people mm-hmm. talk crap about him because he was so good. But as far as kayfabe goes, I'll tell you one thing. Byrne was so old school that at the, at the uh, remember the Rochester tapings, Mick? Oh, do I ever. Like, we'd be talking about a match, let's say me and Norton and Nord with the hang, as the hangman. And if Vern walked by and saw there was a maintenance guy mopping the floor 20 feet away, he would chew our asses out and get in a stall over there. I mean, he was that old school. He, wow. if, if a maintenance guy was in the back, he was going to lose his mind that we were talking about our match. So you got God bless him, though. He, he, to the end, he was, he was old school. We are, uh, we're going to transition here a little bit, buddy, because we got some pictures. And actually, I, I pilfered them from uh, Mike Moran's Facebook page. So, so there are uh, probably okay. about 10, 12 pictures here. But okay. uh, Chris will put them up. And if you can, just give us uh, yeah. you know, names, dates, places. That's great. So, uh, some will be more visible than on them. Now, there, that's a little small. That's yeah, not built yeah. to scale. That was that was actually at one of our my last matches. Uh, Gene Oakland got brought into the Great Lakes uh, Championship Wrestling by Dave Hero up in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Sure, and he was the announcer and uh, guest. And and you know what? It was so cool getting to hobnob with Gene. Such a class act. Rest in peace. He was. They'll they'll never be anyone like Gene Oakland. Oh my God, no! I mean, you know, Carney through and through, but you know. You see some of those outtakes of his yeah. on YouTube, and they're, they're just amazing. Just, just amazing. And so yeah. this was this was in Waukesha for for Dave Hero. Okay, yeah, I've yeah. never been to one of Dave's shows, but I got to get there. The I Blizzard you what, he, Ball. He was, he was show at that Blizzard Ball. Yeah, and and, and I, this was not ADBA, but I'll tell you one thing about Dave Hero, which is so cool. Him and I have been friends for many years, and I actually was the first person he, one of the first people he interacted with to get into business. Oh, and um, he. I had told him I was ready to retire, you know, soon. And and I said, man, it'd be really cool if you could put me and Tom, my hanging partner. Sure. Also with Frank Rick Gantner as my hanging partner and do like a six man. We'd never teamed before, all three of us. And he put all, there you go. Oh, perfect timing. He put all three of us together on one of his shows for the first and only time in 30 years. And we teamed up and they put us over and, I ended my career teaming with full circle with both my partners. What a great story that that, that was a great ending to my career. I mean, who could say that? I mean, seriously, yeah, not a lot of guys. I never thought ever that the two of them would get together with me, and it was so cool. Phenomenal icing yeah. on the cake. Okay, uh, we got another one coming up here. Let's take a pee. Oh, hard to hard to see that one, but now it looks like Carlos Colon. Yep. Okay, was, what's the scoop on this? What happened is, is after I was doing the hangman for a while, and then me and my partner split up, I decided to try this new gimmick called Mighty Kodiak, and I actually got a tryout with WB. And um, I didn't get hired, but I had a big bear that I'd come out with the ring to, and um, I worked Carlos, and we had some main event matches. And in that match there, I got color, 
and uh, we had a really good match. And I remember I hit I hit it too hard with a uh -oh. and I remember walking. And every time I'd walk, I'd see blood squirting, squirting out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but but yeah, that was great. I mean, I, I I had the TV title down there in Puerto Rico as Mighty Kodiak, and nobody knew that Mighty Kodiak was actually the Texas Hangman from that same you know era. But yeah, it was cool. Something different. I, I hadn't wrestled without a mask in forever. That was and crazy. what year would that have been? That was probably 96 or 97. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was thinking, in you know, in, in relation to when the incident happened with Frank uh, yep. Brody, this picture I absolutely love. Uh, that's that's our old buddy, uh, Trevor. Trevor yeah. us in the middle. And Rick, uh, talk about this a little bit. Yeah, that was actually... They both lived in the same, um, they both had homes in the same trailer park subdivision and Trevor lived maybe 50 feet from Frank. And so we would hang out and all that. And then of course, unfortunately Trevor passed. Yeah. But it was, it, it's great that like, like, like Frank, my old partner, he lives here in Clearwater too. Okay. So yeah. we're only 20 minutes away from each. We don't see each other at all really these days, but, but he's, if he needed me, I'd be there. But yeah, that was that was at Trevor's place, and then he about a, about a year and a half later he passed, unfortunately. Yeah, and he yeah, was Jimmy. He was Jimmy Evans in AWA. Jim Evans. That's exactly yeah. yeah. That I was gonna say that back in the AWA days, he was Jim Evans. Yep. Chance to go back that far, uh, the Showboat era, and then Trevor Adonis. And he was great. He, oh, you seen he was Trevor Adonis, and he had he had a title, and he was Trevor was an underrated, truly good worker. He just he just was a little small for that time period. Yeah, and, and again, for the time period. Yes. Now, now there, speaking of guys that answer the telephone, uh, you know, in the uh, via the switchboard, talk about knobs a little bit here. That was actually at Hooters right by my house here. Yeah, what? He's a, Hooters? Yeah, what, yeah, Brian knobs at a Hooters? I'm sure. Oh, come on. Imagine, or me. Or yeah, you, yeah. He, he was, he's, of course, you know, Brian knobs is a crazy guy, fun guy. Um, I actually teamed with Nobs before he was a nasty boy against the Rockers for Vern's tapings. Wow. And, yeah. And um, he, uh, yeah, of course he's a crazy guy, but we, you know, we ended up wrestling him a lot over the years. We wrestled him at the Mid-South Coliseum, him and his partner against me and um, Rick as the Texas Hangman, which I'll talk about when we get to the to Texas Hangman thing. And then uh, I also wrestled him in WCW. God, we had to wrestle him and Fit Finley in WCW. Oh, as as mean Mike and Tough Tom, you know, disorderly conduct. Yeah. In a hardcore match. And the finish was knobs coming off the second rope with a garbage can out of my belly. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That that was not that was not a fun night. But, oh good God. I mean knobs, knobs coming off the top rope by himself is uh, bad enough. Let alone with a garbage can. I was like, really <laughs> there. And then on top of it, I was there actually. You probably were there too, Mick. Remember the night when um, Knobs and Sags worked the Rock and Roll Express and um, Sags took a post, and that was when he knocked his front tooth out. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And from that point on, he never got that tooth replaced. Never got it replaced. Yeah. Wow. All right. We got another one there, Chris. Another one coming up. Or have we run the gamut? That might be the gamut. Wait a minute. Oh, oh they're a little oh, tiny there, there, but. Me and uh, Nick. Yeah. To that me, was... the greatest of them all. But, you know, and you talked about Nick a little bit earlier on, how smooth he was. Just, again, a little bit your, your assessment of uh, the champ. 
That was at the Cauliflower Alley. Have you been to the? You, you, you've oh, had to have been to the Cauliflower Alley. I, I, uh, twenty times, literally okay. twenty yeah. or twenty-one times. Chris, you should go sometime too. You'd really enjoy that because um, there's so many old timers. But yeah, that was at the, the the Cauliflower Alley Club thing, and and um, he was so gracious and such a nice guy, and just yeah, he's just he's just. I was really happy to get that picture because he's always been one of my heroes too, and I, it was really cool. And you know, sadly, I, obviously, he passed. Not long after, a couple of years later, but um, yeah, he's a great guy. Such talk, talk talk a little bit about you know uh, a little further about Nick because I know you said you worked him you know one of your enhancement matches back in the AWA days. Did Nick work as snug as some people say he did? Absolutely, he okay. was one of my snuggest TV matches ever. Wow. That guy went the, from the lockup on. You were in a match with him, which I love. Oh, absolutely. I like working snug too as later years, but yeah, it was a big difference from a lot of guys. He was snug, even a headlock. You knew you were in a headlock. God bless Nick, him. Even Nick the Bailey. figure four. You were in a figure four. I mean, he was a snug guy, but he was respectfully snug. I got gotcha. you. And and when you left there, you didn't have any aches or pains, but you knew you were in a match. I loved it. Oh, that, that what what a testament that is. I mean, that's that's uh, look at look at these two handsome guys from uh, GQ magazine. <laughs> GQ magazine. I don't know about that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Popular mechanics or something. Talk <laughs> about uh, these days. So that was you, you guys were great together. This was disorderly kind of. So what happened is is after the Hangman days, as in AWA, we went to USWA me and my original partner, and then we split up. And then eventually I found Tom and he became my new Texas Hangman partner. But then we got in WCW, uh, Terry Terrell was our kind of our liaison. And he said, listen, you know, we like you guys doing the Texas Hangman, but we really like you guys to come up with something without the masks and we can do double duty. And we were under contract, you know, getting a, every two weeks, getting a payday. We're like, whatever you guys want. So we came up with me and Mike and tough Tom looking back. It probably was not the coolest thing ever, but yeah. It's probably the most, hey, you know, most campiest gimmick of all time, but we did that, and 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 uh, Terry was like, "Hey, okay," and we did that. And so what we would do is we'd have to do double duty sometimes. I mean, there'd be times literally that we would wrestle as disorderly conduct, and then have to come back as the Texas Hangman on the same show. Did the fans know? Never. I I always thought when I get out there, I'd be like, "Are they gonna?" I never heard anyone say anything, and I I don't think they did because the outfits were so different and. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't care, you know? Yeah, I, I would figure that fans at that point, if there's anything that they could do to point out, oh, that's that same person, yeah. they naturally, you know, because, I mean, fans like to... Fans can be brutal. Yeah, fans like to know. I never once heard in the whole four years we were in WCW anyone say anything. And sometimes it would just be us as disorderly conduct, and sometimes it would be us as the hangman, and sometimes mm -hmm. it would be both. And it sucked when it was both because we literally have to come back Rush and take all our boots off, take our tights off, take all our stuff off, and then put all that other stuff on and go back out there and try to dry off to look like we hadn't been out there before. So it was a little brutal, but when you're getting a paycheck every two weeks, you do what you're told. Wow. Man. Great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Uh, I know we, we got the, the, the – I think this is our last picture. And yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this is the last one. And we uh... – how do we say about uh, 13 minutes remaining? 13 minutes remaining. That's oh, wow. what you think. Already done it. Yeah, so, that, so yeah, that's true. This was just actually at um, one of the uh, – every two months or three months, they have a, a wrestling 
get together at O'Brady's. I think it's O'Brady's or O'Brien's uh, in Tampa. And uh-huh. it's, it's one of those deals where all the old school people get together and, and you just, you get to, you know, just hobnob with all the old school people. And I just went to one finally recently only because the Shane twins, which are really good friends of mine. They were the Gemini's and WB. Um, we used to bounce together. I went there to support them because they were getting an award. So I got, to, that was the first and only time I've been to one of these, but it was cool. It was really cool to see a lot of the old school guys dance. Spivey was there. Jerry Briscoe was there. It was the Cuban assassin. It was, it was cool. Ricky Santana. Yeah. You don't know how much I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I mean, I, I'm sitting back and I'm listening to you, you know, toss these names out. And I know that Tampa legends lunch that they call it. And, you know, Bob Cook, I think goes there. Oh, he's always there. Oh yeah, yeah. Bob is kind of a mainstay there, but and and that I believe was a picture of Paul Antone, uh, who wrestles as uh, Cahagas. Yes, and, uh, and I was the first time I met him. Oh, he had about a chop. twenty minutes of conversation. What a what a tough, great guy. Yeah, a- absolutely. No no question about it. Uh, you know, and just so you know, Mike, we're going to give you kind of an alert here. Chris just mentioned a couple of seconds ago that we're thirteen minutes left. Uh uh-uh. uh Ain't happening, pal. Good. I was going to say, there's so much we haven't talked about. Oh, my God. We're, we're, this is going to be a two-parter. So for those who are watching part one, there's going to be a part two.